98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Weekly Blast. The journey resumes tonight. You'll be along for the ride, but do you feel as hungry, as desperate, and as rabid as you did when it was the Lakers? We're going to find out in the next few days. We're also going to learn the mindset of our basketball team because in the playoffs, attitude is everything. Now, around this team, there's going to be a civic letdown for three different reasons. One, it's Denver. We don't have a deep history or beef with the Nuggets, and we haven't seen this year's team since January. Two, it's the second round of a series after an emotional roller coaster that came against our nemesis. It's going to take a while for this city to get revved up, to find its wind, to feel that sense of urgency again. And finally, there is surely a level of inherent satisfaction among young Suns players who did not have playoff experience before who might think this is easier than it looks. And that's because there's something of a misnomer attached to that round one victory that the Suns didn't need playoff seasoning to succeed. They didn't need it because Devin Booker didn't need it, and that's a big difference. The Suns are going to win this series only if they are fully engaged and not satiated, and that's to say if the Lakers were only the appetizer and not the main course. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW Test Drive, the ultimate driving machine at the newly renovated Chapman BMW in Chandler, at Chapman BMW on Camelback. Shop online at ChapmanBMW.com. FM, Arizona's sports station. The hottest ticket in town game day giveaway. Told you, you got to pay attention. Another hour, another pair of tickets to tonight's uh, sold-out Phoenix Suns playoff game. We're looking for caller number 8 right now, 602-260-9870. If you are caller number 8, you will win a pair of tickets to tonight's sold-out game 1. And you want to be listening all day for your chance to score the hottest tickets in town, Phoenix Suns playoff tickets. Yep, Suns uh, Nuggets game one tonight. Uh, it's uh, it, it was it was a weird weekend coming down from from Thursday night into Friday. Um, that was a fun show on Friday, just mm-hmm. recapping not only a Suns playoff win, as we indicated on Friday's show, a Suns playoff win over the Lakers, yeah. the defending champions, and a Lakers team that had mm-hmm. LeBron James. And everybody was waiting for him to step on the gas pedal, and he just never did it in that series. Right. So uh, I I kind of feel it, kind of a little bit of an emotional lull going into a, a series tonight. I, as the day goes on, I'm sure it'll ramp up. Uh, as we've said, this is a sold-out game in downtown Phoenix tonight. But make no mistake about it, the Denver Nuggets, even though they uh, do not have their full complement of, uh, of roster talent right now, they're coming in here with the same goal the Suns have, and yeah. that is to move on. Yeah, we are a big event town. We are a celebrity-obsessed town. It's only natural that LeBron and the Lakers would roll through here, and and we as the fan base would not would, would require a couple of days to, to process it, to enjoy it, to marinate, if you will. Um, so I think that I think there is going to be some of that. It's we're going to have to. I think I think for for this fan base to truly get that desperate again, you're going to have to feel fearful of the Nuggets, and whether or not that happens, I think is going to be up to 
the Phoenix Suns. I think there's an opportunity for the Suns to control this series, to win this series, maybe even take some of the drama out of it. But I do think that Suns fans um, need to watch a game of this before they feel any fear from this basketball team. That's just my opinion, because it's been so long since the teams have played. Yeah, and both of them look different. I mean, Denver didn't have... Uh, they had Jamal Murray at the time. Uh, the Suns didn't have Torrey Craig at the time. Devin Booker, the last game, he sat out with the hamstring strain. Um, that was January 27th. Mm-hmm. Today's June 7th. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about almost uh, five months uh, you know, of time that's passed, so... I think in today's NBA, when you go into a playoff series, you can disregard pretty much the entire regular season ledger. Yeah. Because it's very rare that you get teams at full strength anymore in in the regular season. So throw it out. But I I think you throw it out because of that, and you throw it out because of the time that's passed. Uh, These two teams have both grown since then. Listen, I I look at this, and and I think, like I said in the blast, there's this idea that, oh, see, playoff experience doesn't matter. Look what the Suns just did. That that is a gross simplification of what went down in round one. Devin Booker um, was great in game one and great at the back end of that series. He scored over forty in four of the last, or sorry, over thirty in four of the last five games. And to me, that is why it looked like the Suns did not need playoff experience. And it's also because Devin Booker is a guy that's had five seasons in. Mm-hmm. And he's had a lot of big moments, and he was more than ready for that moment. Um, that doesn't mean playoff seasoning doesn't matter. It just means Devin Booker, the most notable Suns player with no experience, was more than ready for it. He's been waiting for it his whole life. Okay, so what does that mean? That means the other guys, the guys that did not have experience in round one, have to be better in round two. Mikhail Bridges. Cam, Cam Johnson. Johnson. Now, D.A., I think D.A. was fine. D.A. can stay at yes. the level he's at, but no drift. And, and so this is that, to me, is, is kind of what we're looking at here. And if, if the Suns have a real good feel on that, I think this is going to go really well for them. I, I've seen throughout the course of, of all of my playoff coverage, I've seen a couple of different scenarios with teams and, and storylines like this. Sometimes the team that's liberated by a round one victory really gets a win behind their sails. And just cannot be controlled. I've seen that a few times. Phoenix Suns might be that team. They might, and especially if Chris Paul has got a better level of health, they might come out and really do something good in the second round. I mean, I know it's 11 years ago, and I know it is uh, immaterial in terms of the participants of that series, but that's what happened the last time the Suns were in the postseason. They had a pretty tough first-round matchup against Portland. Fortified by that, they went yeah. to San Antonio Finally and absolutely them. annihilated them right. and, and carried that to the Western Conference yeah. Finals. So, so just just to back up what you yeah. said, it can happen. No, it does. It does, and and it's all. But it's all. It all speaks to the psychology, the collective psychology of a group. That's what it speaks to. Now, there's a chance that the Phoenix Suns are looking at this the way we're looking at it. Like, look at this opportunity we have in front of us. Mm-hmm. We handle this team early. Get rest. Get right. Take our chances in the Western Conference Finals. Because the truth of the matter is they've got to beat Utah or the Clippers, not both. That is true. And I agree with you. Um, just, you know, from, from where I look at that series, I think that's going to be an epic. 
Yeah, now that Donovan Mitchell is healthy, that team is looking really good again. And the Clippers yesterday looked – the Clippers on the brink found something different. Yeah, they looked like a mature basketball team, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> which is hard to say. Right. <laughs> uh, here's Monty Williams, the head coach of the Suns, uh, on the uh, you know precipice of Game 1 with the Nuggets, talking about the similarities between the two teams. Mike has always been – regarded as a, a really good coach around the league, but I, I know personally just because we worked together hand-in-hand uh, in hand for a year in New Orleans. Uh, Mike helped me form some of the ways that I coach and my thoughts. and um, <laughs> I had to put a rule in to get the coaches out of the office so they could be home with their families because of Mike. Uh, he was staying there until you know, the wee hours of the night. I didn't want Jocelyn upset with me, so I put a rule in so he'd go home. And um, he's meticulous and detailed and, and, and tough, and you can see that with his team. Um, to lose Murray and to play the way that they have played and, and, you know, beat a really good Portland team says a lot about Mike and staff and, and the, the things that he has instilled in that program along with Tim Conley. Um, you know, work with him in, in New Orleans as well. So you can see their fingerprints all over this team. Yeah, it, it, it's funny to hear them tell those stories. And that's, I think, one thing that fans forget about the heated nature of the NBA playoffs is, by and large, these guys are all friends. Yeah. <laughs> they, they've worked together at different places. It, it even applies to players. I mean, very rarely in, in today's NBA will you find that true player-on-player rivalry. Like that used to exist. That used to yeah. exist. Where guys just real. just didn't like each other. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so th- th- I mean, and, and I look. I think it's. I think it's commendable when when you can have those relationships. Obviously, obviously, having that much hate is, is not that good a thing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I don't think it necessarily tampers with the quality of the playoffs or the intensity of the playoffs. I mean, we just saw it in in round one. Chris Paul and LeBron James are like you know. They're like brothers, and you wouldn't yeah. be able to tell with the way that the, the, that series transpired. Yeah, yeah. Except there was, like I said, there were there were some whispers that that LeBron needs to treat Chris the way he treats other rivals, not friends. I agree with you. I think the whole idea of oh, I can't stand this generation of basketball players. They help one another off the court. Back in the day, <laughs> yeah. That, that, Could you imagine Michael Jordan exchanging his jersey? Right, right. <laughs> he would have right, right. charged sixty bucks <laughs> for the sixty. <laughs> what kind yeah, of a, what kind of a discount right, is he right, given? Right yeah, now. let's throw nickels against the wall for it. That's what <laughs> exactly. we do. The um. So yes, it was different, but everything was different than everything. And so to me, I I, I don't think it's necessarily bad. The the amount of fraternization that goes on in the NBA, I don't think it affects the outcome. I don't think it I don't think it diminishes the level of play or the the heat of the play. Yeah, it doesn't diminish the, the personal pride Listen, that these guys take. Ninety five percent of professional athletes get there because they are red blooded competitors. Mm-hmm. And they compete at everything. It's it's really kind of what they do. And and so that that to me has always been one of those old guy on the porch screaming at clouds kind yep. of deal. Well, uh, Michael Malone was that one of the assistants, as, as Monty talked about on that New Orleans Hornets team that Chris Paul was also a part of. See how it all blends together. Chris Paul talked about 
his relationship with uh, Michael Malone and some Denver players. Two years ago, um, I think uh, Coach Malone, Mike Malone, had hit me after the season and talked to me. And, uh, Tay, Jamal, Gary, a few of them came out, worked out with me. And uh, Mike Malone is, man, one of my favorite coaches my entire career in this league. Uh, we always talk about me playing for Monty 10 years ago. Uh, Mike was on that coaching staff. He was my assistant coach. Every night I was watching games, we'd be texting or calling each other, like saying, oh, they're going to run this play, they're going to run this play, or whatnot. So um, the reason why that team is the way it is, I think, has a lot to do with him. You know, I think teams take on the personality of a coach. Uh, Mike has always been that. I mean, Vic, you remember that 2010-2011 New Orleans Hornets team, don't you? Um, oh, you got My. Chris Paul. DJ Mbenga. Wow. Pops Mensa Bonsu. Oh, boy. <laughs> Sasha Pavlovich. Was Tyson Chandler on that team? <laughs> There's only three guys left from that team that are still in the league. And Chris Paul's what a Marco funny. Bellinelli, mm-hmm. Chris Paul, and uh, Trevor Ariza. Oh, boy. Wow. Can we have the Trevor Ariza discussion, former by the son, way? Former son's no, great, let's Trevor not. Ariza? Yeah, let's not do that. That was one of Miami's problems, is Jay Crowder wasn't in a Miami uniform, and Trevor Ariza was. Listen, <laughs> I, I, I've, I told you the day after they signed, when we came on the air that Monday, that the people that I spoke with were stunned that Jay Crowder was not re-signed by that basketball team. They completely, completely dropped the ball on that. <laughs> completely. Yes. Trevor yeah. Ariza, oof, he's a frustrating yeah. player to watch, well, man. And you can see that's the kind of mistake you would make. Oh, he's the same kind of, no, he's not the same kind of, not at all. So, whatever. Uh, by the way, we do have our winner for this uh, round of a Suns playoff tickets. Rodney Henderson was our eighth caller. So he's got the 12 o'clock hour tickets. we got one more pair to give away uh, today in the 1 o'clock hour before we get out of here. Yeah, you gave away that pair really fast. I'm keeping people on their toes. I don't want people to get comfortable here. they got to listen the whole hour, this is important. Hour. This is important stuff. Yeah. The energy tonight in the building is going to be fabulous. Fascinating to me because it's not like there's a lot of, well, are there Nuggets fans amidst, among us? We have one on our staff. Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah. He's got the weirdest... Fan. He's also a San Francisco Giants fan. Yeah, I saw him wearing that hat today too. What a dork! <laughs> what a dork! What do you, What do you think about uh, adults wearing jerseys? What a dork. what a dork! <laughs> I don't know. I think some people can pull it off. It's it's never. I, I love. You know me. Like I study like details of jerseys, yep. and I'm way in on like uniform news. I don't ever buy them. Right. I never wear... I, I think that like if I was to buy one, I would rather frame it and put it on my wall than wear it out. Or you would buy it and then wait about nine months to get it in the mail. Yeah, I'm still waiting for that Christmas hat that I ordered. But <laughs> listen, I wouldn't do it, but, but the people who do do it is because they want to be... They want to show I am part of this community. Mm-hmm. So their heart's in the perfect place. What if they put their own name on the back instead of their favorite player? Eh. Yeah, I'm not, I mean... There's a reason why I'm not worrying around that beautiful Diamondbacks jersey they sent us. Well, that's the thing is, I hate to look a gift horse in the mouth, is in this job, and when you're, you know, partnerships with teams, they'll send over some swag every once in a while. You'll get a jersey, but they'll always put your name on it. Yeah. Like, I could wear this around the house. (laughs) 
I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to be recognized. Well, it's because there's a lot of <laughs> there, right, <laughs> right, right. And, and on top of that, I I don't want to be recognized as a guy that oh really flexing your own name on the back of a jersey oh with the number one. What an really? ego on this guy! What? Right. What a jerk! So what my, a my jerk. philosophy on that for for jersey buyers is you buy a jersey of your favorite team. Don't get your favorite player or the most. Uh, the, the most famous player, mm-hmm. go with something obscure that proves that you're really a fan. Yeah, <laughs> where you're making where you're making statements that only the most discerning fans would get. Yes, yeah, right. So one Kaminsky jersey here, please. So that's why I'm going to change uh, the number on my jer- or the change the name from uh, Murata 14 on my Diamondbacks jersey, and I'm getting Martin Prado's name on no, there. You should, Martin Prada. You should get the Vince Martin you Prada. Murata soccer jersey that we saw Friday during the broadcast. We were talking about Suns basketball. We looked up during a, uh, a soccer highlights package, and there was Murata. Yeah, and he's guy. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. There's also a Japanese boxer. With the last name Murata, that is getting ready for a I big did fight, not know or that. maybe it already happened. Wow, I don't really who's he fighting? Boxing. Jake Paul, <laughs> <laughs> Logan, oh, Logan Paul, yeah, oh. Chris Paul, <laughs> Chris Paul. Yeah. So uh, on on the the fan base thing, we were talking about how it might be an emotional letdown after that first round, first playoff series in eleven years. It's the Lakers, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that would manifest itself in this first game or as the series goes on? Um, more so going into the first game. I think once the ball is tipped and the competition starts, we'll we'll get back to that. But eliminate. I mean, you, you're not going to hear the beat LA chant, obviously, unless people really want to yeah. pile on. <laughs> we beat LA. We just beat LA. Um, this is a factor in Phoenix as a sports town. Is the level of excitement, whether it's a regular season game or a playoff matchup, has to do with the opponent. It's mm-hmm. it, just a reality that we face here. Um, so I think initially, it yes, is. but once once the games start, and especially if the Nuggets acquit themselves well early yeah, on, right. it, it'll get turned up if pretty it, quick. If it go, if this is a if this is a game tonight, like a one possession game in the final three minutes, it'll snap everyone too. If the Suns lose a home game, it'll snap everyone too. Mm-hmm. If things go well, it'll never materialize because the Suns will be just that much better than the Nuggets. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, I, I think I think DeAndre Ayton, for all the love he feels for CP3, I think he can return the favor for all the effort. You know, thanks for the effort. Get, by just exposing Nikola Jokic, by outplaying him if possible, although I don't know statistically if that's possible, but if he contains him and holds his own against him while Chris Paul leads Phoenix to victory... That's the phrase. There you go. Holds his own. Holds his own. Hangs with him. That's it. Uh, ESPN's Tim Bontemps was on with Burns and Gamble on Friday, and he broke down the Aiton matchup against Jokic. I think it's sort of the same thing that I thought going into the Suns-Lakers series, which is if DeAndre Aiton cannot get obliterated in that matchup, then you know Phoenix probably feels pretty good about its chances. And, and that sounds harsh, but I, I really don't mean it to be. I think DeAndre Aiton's very good. He's had a great year, but He's going up against Sequoia Jokic, who's the deserving MVP of the league, and is absolutely unbelievable player. DeAndre is going to have his hands full, but again, he stepped up big, I thought, in the Lakers series and was terrific. And, you know, if he could continue to play at somewhere near that level, again, he's not going to outplay Nicole Jokic. I mean, if that happens, then, you know, Suns fans will be celebrating. But I think if he can just not get killed, you know, especially with, with Denver's injuries in the backcourt, 
um, you know, that that could be enough to tip the series in, in Phoenix's favor. I think that's a very fair mm-hmm. assessment of the whole thing. Yeah. And we're all pulling for DeAndre Ayton to find a way to outplay Nikola Jokic, but outplaying the MVP who's, you know, on a different level right now. Um, that's that's a big ask. Monty Williams talked about the challenge of facing Jokic. We understand that. It's not like we haven't played against them before. In my two years here, we've played against them uh, a few times, and our, our guys are aware of his passing ability, but also the scoring, the ability to post up, and the ability to come off the screen and knock down a shot. That's the one thing that's different than most of the bigs in the league. Like they, they run pin-down action for him. He can come off and make plays. Yeah, Chris Paul spoke to the media today. He said uh, the Sun center, DeAndre Ayton, is ready for this challenge. And D.A. is uh, what I think a lot of people don't realize about him is how competitive he is. You know, he, he goes into every game, every matchup or whatnot, you know, ready to accept the challenge. And I think that's big for us, big for our team. And, uh, we know how good uh, Jokic is and how well he plays, but D.A. is just as important boxing. And Chris Paul also in that session today talked about, you know, the, the, the philosophy for the Suns defensively against Jokic has to be defend him as a team, which they just did a great job of doing that against LeBron James for six games. Yeah. Now, again, was it a fully functional LeBron James? I still don't think so. He kind of downplayed uh, that or didn't speak on it as much as I thought he would at the end of that series. But, you know, you watch the video breakdowns and the way the the paint was clogged up. Why isn't LeBron James exploding to the hoop? Well, there was no room there because yeah. the, the Lakers shooters were struggling so bad. Uh, that they were able to rely on a team defensive strategy That's against right. LeBron by everybody having a foot in the paint, and it, it changed the complexion of that series. So, different player, obviously, much different skill set, but you got to feel pretty good if you're a Suns fan that the the, the coaching staff will come up with some sort of uh, really workable plan to to defend Nikola Jokic uh, as a team. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what it's about. And if you get torched, then you then you tinker and you come out with something completely different in the very next game. That's generally the way this works. I think as it applies to tonight, I'm I'm going to be most curious what the Nuggets think they can do to Devin Booker because they do not have an on the ball defender to handle him at least not now. So so do what, you agree that with Gordon getting the first first chance there? It it sounds like something they would certainly consider. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's got the athleticism. He's got the size. Yeah, I think that if if you're Denver, that is seems to be an option. Especially because, especially in the playoffs so far, Mikel Bridges, who is another guy that maybe Gordon would guard, has not been very aggressive offensively, mm-hmm. and maybe not a guy you need to really worry about that much on offense. Mm-hmm. Right, and but but that's it's it's kind of why I think tonight's game is going to be won by other shooters. But again, he, here's the other thing that sometimes NBA coaches do if they've got a if they've got a surprise defensive matchup, and I'm not sure that's a surprise, but if if you're going to take a big and put on a small, if you're going to take a front court player and put on a guard, sometimes you put that in your back pocket. You you make that your adjustment. If something else less compromising to your team doesn't work, mm-hmm. so I yeah I do when I look at it, that to me seems to be their if if they choose to defend him one on one, that's their best matchup. So. Yeah, but but again, there's there's some danger in Devin Booker accumulating fouls on Aaron Gordon, and then suddenly Denver is in a real deficit situation. So it, this is going to be great because Devin Booker is the one who made Game Six happen more than anybody. Oh, and, absolutely! Right. 
And this is a continuation. Yep. And, you know, he's uh, number one on the list to slow down if you're, if you're Denver. You want to be listening all day today for your chance to win a pair of tickets to tonight's sold-out Phoenix Suns playoff game as the Suns take on the Denver Nuggets. It's the hottest tickets in town. Game day giveaway. Not calling for anybody to call right now. Wait to hear, hear the sounder. You'll hear it once an hour. And when you hear it, that's when you be caller uh, number eight uh, for those uh, uh, pair of tickets in the hottest tickets in town game day giveaway. Coming up next, heading into this series, uh, we'll get the Denver perspective of things. We'll talk to uh, Nuggets beat writer Mike Singer from the Denver Post next. It's Bickley and Murata, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. This is the home of Phoenix Suns playoff basketball. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station, and the Arizona Sports app. Suns playoff coverage presented by Four Peaks Kilt Lifter. Bickley and Murata talk Suns Nuggets now. I see all the phone lines going crazy for some reason. We didn't we didn't call for caller number eight, so you're wasting your time. People just want to talk with us, Vinny. I think I think they I do. Mean, they just I think they can't do help themselves. You're at uh, least a half hour away right. from hearing that sounder again. Just in, in case you want to get your hands on Suns Nuggets tickets for tonight. Uh, joining us now to talk Suns Nuggets from the Denver perspective, he covers the Nuggets for the Denver Post. Mike Singer, our guest here on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line. Mike, thanks so much for the time. How are you? I'm excellent. I got to Phoenix yesterday. I appreciate you guys reaching out, and I'm excited to get into this series. Yeah, we are too. Uh, I think it's going to be a much different-looking series from what the Suns experienced against the Lakers. But if if you had to break it down and present a a question or a concern on each side of of this uh, matchup, Mike, what would be your questions for each respective team? Uh, Beginning with the Nuggets' perspective defensively, it obviously begins with the Suns' backcourt. Um, can Faku Campazo, a 30-year-old rookie, can Austin Rivers, who was sitting on his couch two months ago without an NBA team, can they contend with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, obviously one of the best backcourts in the entire NBA? How do they deal with the pick-and-roll? Um, w- w- in that pick-and-roll situation, can Joker push up and, and pressure Chris Paul, obviously a mid-range master? Um, so to me, it's just can the Nuggets – contend with the firepower in Phoenix's backcourt. They obviously just dealt with C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, uh, another one of the elite backcourts. I-, I would say that Phoenix's duo is a little bit more dangerous, um, just given Chris Paul's experience and, and obviously everything the book can do. And then um, from the Phoenix perspective, it- it's obviously how do you control or contain or mitigate uh, Nikola Jokic. Like you guys said, the presumptive MVP um, you know, DeAndre Aiden has gotten into foul trouble against Joker in the past, but he's also had more success against him as a post defender than, than most big men across the league. So to me, those are the two kind of pivot points or pressure points of this series uh, containing Phoenix in backcourt and whether basically the Suns can slow down Nikola Jokic. I want to uh, I want to ask you to help gauge just sort of the Nuggets mentality here because this is a basketball team that's been through a lot overcoming the loss of Jamal Murray uh, and th- and then surviving Damian Lillard the way that they did. How has this basketball team grown give- since Jamal went down? I mean, it's pretty it's pretty insane. They are seventeen and seven uh, since Jamal Murray tore his ACL. And they rose in the standings. They won their first playoff series without having to take it to the extension of seven games. Um, what's scary for Phoenix is that the Nuggets don't have anything to lose. Uh, you know, Michael Malone said yesterday, I asked him, and he goes, yeah, we feel like we're not playing with any pressure. Um, you look at our backcourt, 
like I mentioned, 30-year-old rookie, former free agent Austin Rivers. They were relying on a two-way player, Marcus Howard, in the first-round series, and Shaq Harrison, another guy who they signed on a 10-day contract. The only guy who was there from last year is Monte Morris in the backcourt who was healthy. Now, they're obviously hoping to get Will Barton and P.J. Dozier back, but this is a team that, I mean, they're playing with house money. Um, in my opinion, and that's kind of what they've projected. They, they play with, without any fear. Um, they somehow have managed to create a patchwork backcourt that is that, that has stabilized them and come through a big moment all around Joker. They, they, you know, they've had, like, performances that, that have just kind of, you know, risen to the occasion in Austin Rivers and, and Faku and Aaron Gordon. So this is a resilient tough, gritty team. I don't think Phoenix is in for any kind of cakewalk, if not that anyone thinks that, but but just from the Denver perspective. Mike Singer, Nuggets beat writer for the Denver Post, our guest here on the Coulter Automotive Group Sportsline. You, you mentioned Monte Morris. Every time I watch the Nuggets play, especially against the Suns, he's a guy that always impresses me coming off the bench, and he's obviously was huge in the, in the Portland series, has been big in the absence of Jamal Murray. How important is he for uh, Denver's success in this series? Yeah, I mean, you know, from a bigger bigger perspective, I think that uh, the second units are, may have an outsized role um, in this series, and Monte plays a huge component for that for the Nuggets. He actually wasn't very good the first four games of the Portland series. He was coming off of a hamstring injury that kept him out a couple weeks. Um, but then games five and game six, 28 points in game five, 20 points in game six just stabilizes the second unit, is very much a capable starter in the event that they – uh, decide to you know put him alongside that starting unit, but I think they like the scoring punch that he provides off the bench, and and he's just a steady, um, solid backup point guard who again is a starting caliber guard and, and can kind of rise to the occasion and hits those uh, clutch shots when nobody really expects him to. So um, you know they badly needed backcourt help. Uh, obviously, they are going off of the the scrap heap and finding Austin Rivers and Shaq Harrison. So. When you can get reliable contributions from Monte, um, it just stabilizes everything. And, and I cannot tell you the level of trust that Michael Malone has in Monte. He's proven it over and over again. This is now Monte's third playoff run, um, and, and his confidence is showing. Yeah, uh, I want to ask a little bit about this really weird MVP conversation we've had this year. It, it started with, I think, Tim Bonteps and Brian Windhorst arguing over a straw poll <laughs> that seemed to have given the award to Jokic not, uh, with a month left to go in the season. Um, we talked to Ramona Shelburne, who just was like kind of weirded out by the process this year. Uh, this is not to say that Nikola Jokic is not the MVP this year. I guess this is a long-winded way of saying, what is it and and put into words what kind of year Nicola had for the Nuggets? Well, to your first point, let's just call a spade a spade. Um, the reason why we took a circuitous path uh, for the MVP conversation is because Nikola Jokic doesn't look like and doesn't do things that your quote-unquote typical MVP does. There was a level of skepticism that NBA fans, NBA media had to overcome in order to get to this point and recognizing the value and significance and importance that Nikola Jokic has um, to the Nuggets. Uh, in terms of what he's meant to them this season, I mean, think about it like this. There were four conference finalists last year, and the only one still dancing is the Denver Nuggets. And that is a testament to Nikola Jokic. And then with a month left in the season, with a month left in the season, Jamal Murray goes down. 
and now Nicola has to do it without his sidekick, without his 1A, 1B. So the, the fact that he is just kind of – it's a plug-and-play thing. You put whoever you put around him, and it still works. And the Nuggets still rise in the, in the standings and get home court advantage for the third season in a row, the only Western Conference team to do that. Um, I realize people were slow to give him his due, but he's putting up – he put up historic numbers this year um, and is going to become – the lowest draft pick in NBA history to ever win the MVP. Wow. If that's not, you know, remarkable, improbable, stunning, I'm not sure what is. Yeah. Mike Singer from the Denver Post, our guest here on Bickley and Murata. Before we let you go, I saw the piece uh, on the Post on the website. Uh, you had your, your, your entire sports department make predictions, and you were nuggets in seven. You, you sticking by that, Mike? I am with this caveat. I think that the Nuggets will win in seven, and I'm good with that prediction. However... I think that the Suns could win in six or in seven as well. And I know that that's so cheap, but I don't think the Nuggets will win in six. If the Nuggets are going to win, it's going to be to its extension. If the Suns are going to win, I could see it ending early. I don't think anybody disagrees that the Suns have more talent than the Nuggets do in the aggregate. But I swear, I mean, I was in the bubble last year. I saw how insane this team is when, as soon as you discount them. Um, and I just think that in a toss-up series, somehow, some way, I think that they end up uh, moving on. So, yes, I'm sticking with uh, it. Yeah, I'm kind of buying with that. because, I, And w- real quickly, when you look at the Nuggets and you look at the experience accrued over the past two postseasons, what does that mean this in this particular series? Uh, I mean, you come back from two, three, one deficits, you make NBA history, you get to the conference finals, uh, then, you know, you get home court advantage again. They're essentially a team of overachievers, of, of blue-collar guys who, who never – I mean, Nikola Jokic was a second-round pick. Their franchise cornerstone uh, was never supposed to do or expected to do anything. Look at up and down the roster. Up and down the roster, Faku wasn't in the NBA till he was 30. Monte Morris, second-round pick. Um, Will Barton, second-round pick. Paul Millsap, second-round pick. Like, up and down the roster, they have guys who have just overachieved. And the aggregate is that you you put them all together, and you'd be silly to count them out, yeah. even if they weren't favored uh, or underdogs into the series like they are tonight. So that's, that's partially why I, I'm going with Nuggets in seven, because they just keep surpassing expectations, even when you want to put a cap on how far they can go. Yeah, Mike, great stuff. Thanks so much for Thanks, checking Mike. in with us. We really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Mike Singer, Denver Post uh, Nuggets beat writer. He joined us on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line. Coulter Nissan, west of the hassle. Visit com. Coming up next, the Julio Jones saga has come to an end. Did he land in the right place? Did the Falcons get enough? That and more NFL hash marks next. Bickley and Murata, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Bickley and Murata. Hash marks. Yeah, so this, I mean, we've been talking, Jim, for probably, um, you know, two or three, uh, two or three weeks here, uh, back and forth with, with Atlanta and, and, and Terry Fontenot down there. And uh, my hat's off to him. It's just, this is his first uh, big trade. He was great to work with, um, but uh, he's got a great career ahead of him. Uh, so I appreciate working with him and dealing with him. Uh, but we had discussions um, really, you know, kind of back and forth for the last uh, couple weeks. Kind of picked up in intensity a little bit uh, yesterday, 
uh, and then finally found some closure this morning on it and um, able to agree uh, to the terms on it. John Robinson is the general manager of the Tennessee Titans. He was on the other side of that deal. As expected, the Julio Jones deal goes down post-June 1st. Took uh, probably a couple more days than people expected it to. But he is now a member of the Tennessee Titans who give up a second and a fourth to get Julio Jones. Mm. Big addition for the Tennessee Titans. A really good football team just became really, really good on offense. you got A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, Derrick Henry. Be hard-pressed to find a better trio of offensive skill players in the NFL. I don't know how you would. Julio Jones is a top three wide receiver by pretty much everyone's standard. Derrick Henry is the best running back in football. A.J. Brown is uh, top 15 receiver. The only... The only, I don't know if I'm there on Brown yet. He's yeah, very, maybe he's top very, he's very good. But okay. um, Jones, number three with an asterisk. Mm-hmm. There are questions. He was really banged up last year. Uh, he only played nine games. Most people around the league believe that that was an anomaly, that when he is healthy, he can still be as dynamic. Um, and they had Corey Davis last year. He moved on to the Jets in free agency, mm-hmm. and he had almost 1,000 yards receiving. So it's not like... Uh, they're adding another receiver that's going to take away from Derrick Henry's workload because he was an absolute beast with over with over 2,000 yards. I like this pickup a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it for Tennessee. I like the fact that he doesn't land with uh, one of the three other teams in the NFC West and the Cardinals don't have to deal with him, but they do have to deal with him on opening day <laughs> because the Cardinals yeah. do play Tennessee on opening day. But at least it's only once as opposed to twice. Yeah. Yes, but it's 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 going to be quite a difficult task for a defense that's going to be blending some new pieces and some young pieces and hoping for the best all at once. Um, but talk about coming out of the gate hot. I mean, it's the good news about this is having a, an opponent like that fronting your schedule get your attention real quick. Mm-hmm. If it's a big physical team or or a trio of huge kind of players, it'll it'll get your defense's attention real quick. So. I guess there's probably not a good time to play him. It'll be quite a challenge for the Cardinals. That is true. Lewis Riddick of ESPN uh, thinks that this is a potential game-changer for the Titans. I think for their new offensive coordinator, Todd Downing, who replaces Arthur Smith now, who's the head coach of the Falcons, I mean, he's got to be just giddy thinking about kind of the kind of athletes that he has to work with now on the perimeter. When you look at A.J. and Julio and they break the huddle and these guys are lining up, you have two of the premier athletes in the NFL regardless of position. And when you have a guy like A.J. Brown, who just two years ago averaged, you know, just shy of 21 yards per catch and is just an absolute touchdown machine, and you've seen how he's put together. The guy looks like he's a, he's a you know, Olympia-style bodybuilder. And you have him and you pair him with a guy like, like Julio, who he absolutely reveres. There's nothing that you can't do from a route-running standpoint and from an ability to attack the field horizontally and vertically. So with Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, and these two now, so Todd Downing, this new offensive coordinator, look, you, you, you're not going to ease into this job. You're, you're going to have a lot of people going, okay, they went out and got one of the most, one of the premier wide receivers in the game of the past 10, 15 years. What are you going to do with them now? How do you take this offense to the next level? But those are good problems to have. Yeah, Ryan Clark of ESPN, one of Lewis Riddick's uh, colleagues there, not as uh, gung-ho on this deal. He wonders if this was a needed upgrade for Tennessee. Let's not forget that they can't stop people yet. But when you think about what this team could do 
from an offensive standpoint, one, they absolutely scare you physically, right? If, if you're a DB, if you're if you're a safety, if you're a nickelback, and you understand the type of physicality that you'll be facing from this offense, you already know that Friday is going to have to be no shirt Friday, and you're going to have to get the curls for the girls and get some triceps done so you can see yourself look swole in the mirror just so you walk into the stadium with some confidence. But then it comes the actual play on the field. Like, who do you double? Where do you send the safety to? How many people do you have in the box to stop Derrick Henry? You thought this team was prolific and Ryan Tannehill was prolific in play action pass before. This just takes it to another level. This will be a team that would be difficult to scheme, but impossible to truly stop. And this is a huge move. But is this team a receiver away from a Super Bowl? I'm just not sure. Yeah, uh, that's a fair question. But to Ryan Clark's point on that, hey, if you can't stop anybody, you may as well... No, try to outscore everybody. Yeah, listen, I, I don't understand. There's a lot of people who who have de- debated with me how good Julio Jones is. I've watched a lot of Falcons games. The Cardinals have played them a couple of times. This guy is that good. He is that good. So when you add that piece to an offense, of course it's going to make an impact. Um, but, but to me, there is that question that... It, it, could you have done something else to better help you win a Super Bowl? That offense was pretty unstoppable. That play action in Tennessee was unstoppable as it was last year. And it'll look different, too, because Johnny Smith moved on from, from the tight end position. He hooked on with New England. Uh, as one of those sound bites mentioned, there's a new offensive coordinator uh, in Tennessee with, with Arthur Smith moving on. So it'll look a little bit different, but they're mm-hmm. still going to be really, really strong. Uh, potential in, uh, NFL news. Tomorrow is the day that Green Bay Packers mandatory yeah. workouts begin. Yeah. And whether or not Aaron Rodgers will be there. I don't think he's going to be there, but the latest development on this is that uh, the Packers might acquiesce a little bit and waive any fines or penalties for Aaron Rodgers if he doesn't show up, which would be the sign, again, of a desperate organization. Yeah, it's you wonder you wonder exactly. The only reason you do that is if you are convinced that Aaron Rodgers is is kind of on the fence about all this. I think the last thing you want to do is make concessions to Aaron Rodgers if he isn't going to budge in the first place, because then you look like you're groveling. Then you look like you've messed up. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of this is perceptual. I think I think there's a lot of this, oh, how do we manage this if he leaves kind of thing. And I think Aaron Rodgers, I think he kind of wants them to, to kind of, I think he kind of wants to put their feet to the fire a little bit. I think he wants to force their hand about Jordan Love and whether or not he's ready to be a quarterback. Because, let's face it, if you if you moved up in the draft to take him, you're not buying Aaron Rodgers saying this was never about Jordan. He's no. a great kid. I love him. Well, well, listen, I'm sure it's not about Jordan Love. It's it's about a team that really disrespected Aaron Rodgers by going down that road. And whether you think it's fair or not, it it is a little bit it is a little bit stupid of the Packers to not to not come to the conclusion that, that you know what we better tell Aaron what we're thinking here. Yeah, well, but and going back and we're going way back in this whole process. Uh, they did that once before. It worked out well, uh, obviously handing the torch from, from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. But how much has changed in terms of athlete empowerment and, and involvement from 2004 when that took place? That draft pick took place till now. Yeah. It, it's a different world completely, and the completely. Packers were still subscribing to the old school method. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, and I think they're going to pay for it. But, but you're right. Tomorrow's the big day. If you want to believe that everything is going to work out fine, if Aaron Rodgers really wants us to work out, mm-hmm. he'll show up. But I, I wouldn't count on seeing him. Real quick, one of our favorites, Tony Jefferson, former Cardinal. Yeah. 
Going to wear the colors of the San Francisco 49ers. Man, yeah, I'm not. Uh, Tony Jefferson, first of all, is probably one of the bigger Suns fans on the planet. He is. Yeah, so he's probably enjoying this moment big time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know what, if Tony's still an impact player. It's been a while since he's been played. A, a long, long recovery from yeah. a serious knee injury. Um, most Mostly, I'm just happy he's back. I, I've always been a fan of his. Yeah, so I'm, I'm back. He's uh, healthy enough to play again. Yep. And uh, hopefully he doesn't have that much impact for the 49ers. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> All right, coming up next, who is the biggest key for the Suns to get by the Nuggets in round two? That and more in social studies straight ahead. It's Bickley and Murata, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.